For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regrets, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So this summer, uh, we have been going through uh, kind of a... Oh, you guys can be seated. Uh, we've been going through this uh, kind of practical series, which is just kind of speaking practically. You know, we had guest speakers in the month of July. Uh, just very grateful for David Beck and the other speakers who uh, came to speak. And I know they did an awesome job. And we were encouraging people to share, you know, what, what is a, a truth? What is a, a scripture? What is a practice that has been particularly practical in your life? And uh, I feel like summer is very conducive for us to you know, do a little reflection and uh, do some kind of uh, inventory in our life. And so um, I wanted to share with you guys today a verse that kind of changed my life. Um, I, I know, you know, every verse should change your life, <laughs> you know, but I have to tell you, when I read the scripture, it just opened my eyes. Um, it, it really kind of uh, uh, was something that, that I had heard before, I'd read before, but didn't really understand. Uh, particularly around this area of regret. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So today's message is no more regrets. Uh, so I had to make sure that when I sent the bulletin, uh, that, that people didn't think that I misspelled this. I, I meant to write regret. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have seen, like, like, there's been like a commercial and I think there's a movie where someone gets a tattoo and it says no regrets. And so, you know, obviously the irony is that they're like, no, no regrets, right? But then you kind of instantly regret that you misspelled the tattoo, right? Or I think there was a movie where, it, he spelled it R-A-G-R-E-T. He's like, no regrets. And he's like, really? No, none? You don't have any? Like, not even just one? You know? And this is, I think, a motto for a lot of people nowadays. People don't like having regret. What is a regret? A regret is when you wish you could go back in time and change something, right? There's something you feel sad about, that, that you feel pain, you kind of mourn, you, you, you wish that something hadn't happened, and so if you had a time machine, you would jump in it instantly and fix that thing. But there is no such thing. And so we just feel bad. It's this bad feeling that we have, right? And for a lot of people, we don't like having that bad feeling. So we don't want to have regrets, right? And so people will say things like, I have no regrets. Have you noticed, by the way, friends, that whenever someone says, I have no regrets, that at least for me, usually I think, Oh, you should definitely have regrets about that. Like, for instance, you know, I don't know. Someone's like, oh, I just ate 12 tacos. I have no regrets. Like, you sure? You know, I stayed up all night, you know, got zero sleep the last two nights. No regrets. Like, really? You know, I didn't study for that test. I, I just, you know, watch YouTube all night, you know. You know, I, and I just prayed that God would give me an A. I had no regrets. Like, really? No, not a one? You know? And But I, I understand that the feeling of regret is not pleasant. And so 
I, I want to, to, to show you in scripture a passage that talks about regret. Um, and so I'll tell you when we get to the verse that, that kind of changed my life. It's not the whole thing, uh, but this is actually a verse uh, I, I've shared, like, uh, I think in like a Bible study context, or maybe I've had a conversation with you and mentioned uh, this first because it was so helpful to me. I don't think I've ever taught it in a longer form. And so I was kind of excited in the summer series that I could kind of teach this in the longer form and show you the context. And so there's some things I, I need to tell you about second Corinthians for us to understand this context. So let's dive in. And so I'll just kind of like, we'll stop and go as we, as we uh, read through this passage, just to give you the context. So you understand the story of what Paul is talking about here. So it says, even if I made you grieve with my letter, what letter? Uh, he's not talking about the first Corinthians letter. This is actually a letter that we don't have, uh, but it's a letter that he wrote and it seemed to make the people feel really bad. He said, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it for I see that the, that letter grieved you and th- though only for a while. Um, and so uh, let me just explain uh, what we think happened. So what scholars have kind of pieced together is that uh, if you remember in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is all about talking about unity. There's been divisions in the church. And in the Corinthian church, there's a lot of people who are divided. You know, and they're like, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, right? And they're just kind of arguing about, you know, kind of what sect of Christianity they follow. And so Paul is arguing for unity. Right? To break down those walls. Um, so it seems that that didn't work. And so Paul did a, a, a quick kind of flyby Corinth after First Corinthians to check on the community. And he thought like, hey, you know what? I sent you this letter, this awesome letter. And it's, I mean, you know, for what it's worth, I think it's one of his best letters. It's a great letter, First Corinthians, right? There's all this stuff about love and the body of Christ, you know? And, and it's so much good stuff in there. And it didn't seem to work. And when Paul did his flyby, it, that didn't seem to work either. And so Paul heard that things were getting worse. And in particular, it seemed that the divisions were getting greater. And there was one person in particular who was really, really bad-mouthing Paul, right? And really kind of stirring up people. And so Paul is really grieved by this. I think, you know, maybe it's also because, like, you know, he wrote this awesome letter, he went to visit them, but I think it's also because he really loved the people, right? And he really didn't want uh, the people that he considered in many ways his spiritual children to be fighting, right? But they were, and they were divided against him, and they weren't listening to him, and all this stuff, and so it broke his heart. Second Corinthians, by the way, is a very interesting letter. Um, usually we kind of just pick and choose from Second Corinthians because, to be honest, it's kind of hard to read because this is a guy who's heartbroken. And you just see that all throughout the letter. And so, but he says that, um, you know, the, the letter that he wrote, so, so he writes a letter after he goes to visit and he hears that things got worse. And this letter we don't have. And I don't know, maybe just God orchestrated to lose this letter because apparently it was a really harsh letter. He rebukes the people in very strong language. We don't know exactly what he said, but he tells them how disappointed he is in them, how, you know, this isn't right. And apparently this letter has the effect. They get grieved. They're hurt. And all these things start changing, right? And so 
Um, I'm going to point out later, they actually deal with that person uh, who was stirring up the people against Paul. But this is the context that he's writing about. He's like, I know that letter I wrote to you, that broke your heart too. I know that letter I, I wrote to you made you feel bad. And so that made me feel bad. I didn't want to hurt you. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Paul loves them, right? His intent was not merely to write a letter to hurt their feelings, right? But he did want to see change. And so this is what he's talking about. He's saying, I did regret it. I, you know, I'm not a monster. I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I love you guys. But it grieved you, though only for a while. This is the important part. Only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. So now he's happy. Not because you were grieved, not because I hurt your feelings, but because you were grieved into repenting. What does repentance mean? That was kind of like our whole theme last year, right? Metanoia, that's the Greek word for repentance. What does it mean? Anyone? Anyone remember? Yeah, the forgiveness or change. To change your, it literally means to change your mind, but it's the sense of changing, turning around your life, right? So he, he is happy because they were grieved into change, Right? Their lives actually were altered by this. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, for me, brothers and sisters, uh, I, I want to share with you, we're right about to get to 10, the verse that kind of changed my life. Um, because for me, I'm somebody who just feels bad a lot. I, I don't know about you. Maybe the, I, I feel like there's kind of like two, pe- two types of people in the world. People who feel bad about everything <laughs> or feel bad about a lot of stuff. I know these are extremes. You know, maybe you fall in between. But in, in general, you, you might have an orientation where you feel bad about everything. Or you have the orientation where you don't feel bad about anything. You know, no regrets, right? You're just like, whatever. You know, I'm cool. I'm over it, right? And you know people like that. Sometimes the person who feels really bad about everything marries the person who doesn't feel about, bad about anything. It, it, it just makes an interesting dynamic. You kind of learn from each other. But sometimes you're like, man, you're weird. <laughs> I'm here feeling bad about everything, and you just sleep soundly like a baby, like it never happened, you know? And uh, so for me, brothers and sisters, what I noticed is that in church, um, I, I, just my experience is in Korean churches, uh, in evangelical churches, I feel like guilt and shame is something that just kind of goes round, you know? And I think sometimes we use it to try to motivate people, you know? We try to make them feel bad about what they did. Feel bad about your sin. Feel bad about not giving enough to church. Feel bad about, you know, not serving enough. Feel bad about, you know, uh, not forgiving people or or whatever the case may be. Not living up to uh, the calling we have in Christ, Right? And, and I feel like I've been a part of churches where people just use that. And it was very effective. And I feel like the, the kind of uh, sense of spirituality was very, very informed by grief, by a mourning, by a sorrow. Uh, I might have shared this before, but in my church in Cincinnati, when I would go to prayer meetings, I never really got this. But I've come to understand this is very much a part of the kind of Korean ethos. But uh, uh, I hear people praying, and I didn't understand what they're saying because my Korean's not that good. Uh, but they would just be wailing and weeping, just, <gasps> 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 
and, and just, it was just, everything was just so sorrowful. And that's the kind of Christianity I grew up with. I just, I just feel bad. And I realized that, that, that I'm not the only one. A lot of times, you know, when I talk to uh, the leaders at LGM, you know, and, and leadership meetings, they're supposed to be about how you can lead the congregation. But I think oftentimes our leadership meetings were just feel bad sessions. Like, man, we suck. Like, we're not doing good enough, right? We're not welcoming people enough, and we need to do more activities. We need to pray more, and just, just, just people would be like, Pastor Steve, I feel bad. I feel bad. I feel bad. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Is this what Christianity is supposed to be? Right? Are we supposed to be feeling this bad? And not just for the sake of feeling bad, but what is this actually getting us? Because I know for me, what usually happens is it's sort of like a, a, a vicious spiral, and it's a downward spiral. It's like I feel bad about something, and that makes me feel bad. And then also I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't be feeling this bad. I should, shouldn't talk to myself like that. So now I feel bad for talking to myself badly. And I feel bad for feeling bad. And then I feel bad about feeling bad about feeling bad. And then I feel bad about feeling bad about feeling bad. Then I feel bad, right? It just gets worse and worse and worse. And the thing that I see here is that he's saying this grief is supposed to have a purpose. But what I see oftentimes in the church is our bad feelings are not having a purpose. So similarly to uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we're going to read in a moment, um, th- th- something that one of my seminary professors said changed my life too. He was this, uh, this, this older Caucasian dude. Uh, his name was Dr. James Logan. Uh, one of my favorite professors in seminary. And uh, I, I got to take a class with him right before he retired. And he just like, just had this very stately uh, uh, presence. And I, I called him J-Lo out of affection. Just, anyways, so, so, so J-Lo gets up there and he, he says this thing that just changed my life. Uh, he was talking about evangelism. And he was talking about how we use guilt and shame to bring people to Christ. And this is something that he said that I, I was like, wait, what? Is that right? He said, Jesus died to put an end to guilt and shame. Think about that for a moment. Jesus died on the cross to put an end to guilt and shame. And I was like, what? That's not what I heard in my church. (laughs) It almost seems like Jesus died to make me feel guilty. At least that's the way I was converted, right? Like I remember going to a church camp and um, the pastor was like kind of like yelling at us, telling us we were sinners, you know, and he described the bloody death of Jesus and in all of its horrific detail, right? And described the crown of thorns and how many times Jesus was whipped and he's like bleeding there on the cross. And, you know, I'm like 12 years old, guys, right? I'm like 12 years old. And he's describing this in bloody detail. He's like, you know why Jesus died? Do you know why Jesus died? Because of you! Like, and my 12-year-old me is like, me? I killed Jesus! And I'm crying. And so this concept, Jesus died on the cross to put an end to guilt and shame. I was like, something's not computing. My, my brain started glitching. Like, <laughs> you know, really? Are you sure? Are you sure? 
And it sounded good, but 2 Corinthians 7.10 kind of gave scriptural sort of proof to this, right? So I want to show this to you. Um, so following up with what uh, he was saying, that the grief had a purpose. He said, for godly grief produces a repentance. What is repentance? Change, right? Produces a change that leads to salvation without regret, Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, brothers and sisters, when we hear the word salvation, usually we think of it as going to heaven after you die. I know that's what normally our mind goes there. We've been trained to think that. But think in the context of what we have been talking about, of what we've been, uh, what I've been telling you about uh, what the Corinthians were going through. He's not talking about going to heaven after you die. He's talking about their lives here and now, right? First of all, they're living divided lives. They're not living the way Christ has called them to, right? So that's clear. They're, they're completely divided and, and they're opposed to each other. That They're at each other's throats, right? It's just division everywhere, Right? And then Paul comes and he writes this really sharp letter, right? And then, you know, they feel bad, right? And what he's saying, what salvation is really about is life. The full life that God wants for you. The life where you are lived in right relationship with God. And by the way, that ends in going to heaven after you die. Of course that's salvation. But salvation is supposed to be experienced in the life you live now. Because if your life is a living hell, you need salvation from that. Amen? Yeah? So if you are at each other's throats, if your community is in disorder, you need to be saved from that. Yes? And so he's saying that godly grief, the, the, the grief that actually produces a good, it produces a change that leads to new life, right? Without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, brothers and sisters, this was life-changing for me because of that word without, or that phrase, without regret. Because I thought... Regret was godly grief. I thought you were supposed to regret a lot. Remember, we said, what, what is regret? Regret is looking back at the past and saying, I wish I could change it. Right? And, and you're sad and you're grieving about it. In fact, the word regret, it comes from, uh, uh, the, the root of the word is grieve, mourn, like mourning a dead person. You're at that graveside and you're mourning. I wish you were alive. I wish you were alive. I wish you were alive. But they're not. Right? And you're looking at something that is dead, that is past, and you're saying, I wish this could be alive. I wish this could be alive. I wish this could change. But it can't, because it's in the past. Right? That's what regret is about. There's not much life to be found there. Do you ever spend, like, like, I don't know about you, but this is like, for me, it's been a really painful process of regretting lots and lots of stuff that you cannot change. Do you ever get in like a regret spiral? Like you're sitting there and you're trying to go to bed and then your mind's like, hey, this will be fun. Let's relive your worst mistake in your life. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. And you're just replaying in your mind. Well, I should have done this. I should have said this. 
Well, if I could go back, you know, two years, I would have done this differently. And you're just replaying it in your mind. And, and in your mind, there's this desire, this desire to change the thing. But no matter how many times you replay it, it will never change. You can spend the entire night, you could spend an entire lifetime replaying that in your mind, trying to change what already happened, and it will never change. That's why these regret spirals are so frustrating, right? There's no life to be found there, only death. You get that, brothers and sisters? That's the worldly grief. Worldly grief produces death. It doesn't produce newness. It doesn't produce change. It just drags you back. I, I have this saying that I say, regret regresses you. It holds you back, right? You're not moving forward. You're just like, oh, why didn't I do this? Why was I so stupid? Why was I so weak? Why did I make that mistake? Well, brothers and sisters, I don't know, but you did. <laughs> you did it. It's done. It's past. You can't change it, Right? And so here, what, what Paul is saying is that godly grief is supposed to lead to something that actually changes. You can't stay there, though. You're not supposed to live with regret, right? So produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now, this is the thing. Remember, what does regret mean? What is the root for it? To grieve, Right? Godly grief, or in other words, godly what? Regret. (laughs) Godly regret leads to life without regret. You get that? So what is this saying? You got to have some regrets, okay? (laughs) So this is the thing. Some of you today need to hear, you're just living in so many regrets. You're just replaying this stuff. You're beating yourself up, and it's serving no purpose. You just feel bad for, for the sake of feeling bad, and it just holds you down, and you don't change. This is the frustrating thing, right? When I'm talking to leaders, and you know they're like, Pastor Steve, I feel so bad. I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Like, I don't know, but I feel bad. Right? They come back next week, so what did you change? What changed during your life? Nothing. I just feel bad. Right? It doesn't change. Right? So grief in and of itself doesn't necessarily change your life. It can be an indication that you need to change. Right? So some of you need to hear that. Your staying in your grief is not helping you. It's actually holding you back. Right? It's tying you to the past and you just keep replaying your mistakes over and over. Now some of you need to hear the opposite message. Because there's some of us, and I do believe it's two sides of the same coin, feel no regrets. Right? We're the person who tattoos it to our chest. No regrets. Right? And we're like, that's my slogan. I don't want to feel bad about anything. Why replay the past? Right? And so there's some people who have made it their mission in life to never feel bad about anything. And so they don't. You know? And so you make a mistake and you're like, well, what do you want me to do about it? It's in the past. Right? Whatever, get over it, cry me a river. I got over it, right? And we spend no time, those people, people who are in that camp, spend no time grieving their mistakes, right? And so if you live the kind of life where you never apologize, you never feel bad about, you know, wronging people or making mistakes or sinning, right? You know what we call those people? We call them sociopaths, right? Those are the people who destroy society, right? Because there's no reflection there. You know what I mean? You just keep making 
mistakes and you never learn from them. That's the problem, right? You never learn from your mistake because you never pause to admit that you made a mistake. Yeah. And so there's some people, I know Christians who are like this. They hear a passage like this and they're like, no regrets. I'm going to tattoo it on my arm, right? I don't want to feel bad. Yay. Freedom. I'm never going to feel bad about anything ever in my life. And then you go on and you make lots of mistakes and you break a lot of people and you hurt a lot of people, right? Because there's no reflection there, right? And so what Paul is saying is that you should feel bad at times. It's called conviction, right? There is that, that godly grief and it is grief. There's no way I can dress this up to say that grief is going to feel awesome, right? You know, he's like godly grief. It's a good thing. You might feel bad. But you're not supposed to feel bad forever, right? He even said, I regret it for a time, for a time. That's godly grief. Godly grief is not supposed to last forever. You're not supposed to live there. It's part of the process. It's part of the process of change. It is that indication something is not right. It's that, like, you know, check engine light. You're not supposed to live with that forever. I don't know any of you guys who drive or you maintain your own vehicles, right? You get that check engine light. And and some of you, that's a very terrifying symbol. You're like, oh my gosh, you get that yellow or red engine indicator. You're like, oh my gosh, my car's going to explode, right? Now imagine this. You get the check engine light and you're like, I feel bad that my check engine light is on, right? You just feel bad, but you never get your car checked out, Right? You never do. Or you're like, you know what? I refuse to let this check engine light judge me, right? I'm forgiven by Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God, right? So I feel no regrets over this check engine light. But you never go to get it checked out. You never go to get it fixed, right? Both of them result in the same thing. What? No change. No change. No salvation. No life. No repentance, so both of them are two sides of the same coin. Why do you think people don't want to have regrets? Because regrets aren't fun, right? Because we're so afraid of feeling the sting of regret. We're so afraid and, and maybe people, you know, it's like kind of the shadow of the other people who are just mired in regrets. You look at those people, maybe some of you are like that, who, who, who you just don't feel bad about anything. And you look at people who feel bad about everything and you're like, that's pathetic. I never want to be that, right? So you just feel no regrets, right? You just go around and make mistakes and just keep going. You just, you know, this car never slows down. You never bring it into the station to get checked out, right? What grief does, the check engine light, it's supposed to be an indicator. Someone said this once. Guilt can be a powerful indicator, but it's usually a poor motivator. It can be a powerful indicator, but it's usually a poor motivator. What does that mean? It can tell you something is maybe not going right. Something that you should pay attention to, right? But it's not supposed to be the thing that motivates you. You can't stay there. You don't motivate yourself with guilt, right? I'm going to change because I feel bad. No, you change because you know that it's the right thing to do. You change because you know your life is better if you change. You stop hurting people, not because you feel bad about hurting people. You stop hurting people because you don't want to hurt people, right? And you don't want them to hurt. It's a subtle difference, brothers and sisters. But if we're only interested in not feeling bad, I guarantee you can train yourself to stop feeling bad. 
And you can start to develop calluses over your conscience. You can. Right? Do you ever see people who like do horrible things like, I don't know, the prescription drug companies that like charge like thousands of dollars for cancer meds that you can get like for free in another country? And you look at those people and they're before the Senate congressional meetings and people are like, how do you sleep at night? And the guy's like smiling. He's like, I sleep great. I believe that. Why does he sleep great? It's just a callus. He's just gotten used to not feeling bad. Right? Just doesn't look there ever. Never slows down the car. Right? So if you're only interested in not feeling bad, you can just become a sociopath and a monster. Some people do. I'm being serious, right? But if you are interested in becoming like Christ, then it requires actual change. You need to feel the pain of that. You need to feel the pain of what other people are experiencing. This is why God gave us a nervous system. This is why God allows us to feel pain because pain is instructive, but you got to pay attention to it. And so this is the thing. I mean, this is probably a, a whole nother sermon, but whenever you experience offense, whenever you feel guilt, whenever you feel bad, you have to acknowledge it and address it. It doesn't mean you have to throw a pity party and like, I'm horrible. I suck. I'm terrible. That's not going to bring life. But you have to acknowledge it. Huh, there's something there. What is that? Where is that coming from? Because I guarantee it's not going to go away. You're going to bury it, and maybe you don't feel it, but it didn't go away. It doesn't go away for the prescription drug guy who's charging thousands of dollars. It didn't go away. He doesn't feel bad, but it became something else. It becomes the deadness in his heart. You hear that? Because sin always has consequences. Brothers and sisters, don't let this world tell you different. It always has consequences. It's not always going to be pricking your conscience. You you, you ever read all that stuff that it talks about in the Bible about hardening your hearts? Yeah? Hardening your emotions. You still feel anything. You become dead inside. That's not what God wants for us, right? God wants for us to be people who can feel pain, feel the pain of others, feel your pain, feel God's pain, feel the pain of the world, and then do something about it, right? Learn to let that in. Learn to let that change you. But brothers and sisters, I I mean, you know, the core message is the regret is only helpful to that point. You acknowledge it. And now you enter into a different phase, right? It's it's a step-by-step process. And what is the new phase? The new phase is change. You bring it before God. You may not be able to do it by your willpower, but you need to forgive. You need to forgive. Because, brothers and sisters, this is the thing. God forgave you. Before you made a single move towards God, God forgave you. This is the power of the gospel, right? Jesus hanging on the cross, not looking at people and saying, don't you feel bad that I'm dying for you? Right? But instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Some people didn't even hear what Jesus said. What was that? Did Jesus just say something? I don't know. He's, I, I can't hear him. Can you hear him? Maybe we should put a microphone up there. What did he say? It, it doesn't matter. He still forgave them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Even if you didn't know what you were doing, Jesus still forgives you. It's powerful stuff, right? 
And so there's this idea of condemnation. Condemnation is an idea that you must be punished and you are irrevocably changed in relationship because of what you did, right? So someone gets condemned. You, you, You commit a crime. You commit a sin. And now no longer are you a citizen of this world in good standing. Now you're a prisoner. Now you're the, a, a criminal. Now you're a, the scum of the earth. Now you're a sinner. Ooh, it hurts, right? Your name has changed. Your identity has changed. But what we are told in uh, Romans 8.1 is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can look at you and say, you are less than because of your sin. You are less than. You suck because of what you did. Right? You are no longer worthy of the love of Christ because of what you did. You are no longer, you don't belong here in the kingdom of God because of what you did. There is therefore now no condemnation. But at least for me, brothers and sisters, the worst condemnation comes from myself. I've internalized it. I'm my worst condemner. There is therefore now no self-condemnation. I mean, it doesn't qualify the condemnation. There's just not supposed to be any. Who's going to condemn you? Who? Satan? The demons? The world? Your parents? Your friends? Your enemies? No condemnation. Yourself? That little voice you hear in your head and your conscience when you do something bad? When you make a mistake? When you failed again? Brothers and sisters, that is not the stuff of change. It is the stuff of hiding. It is the stuff of regression. It is the stuff of where we start stop feeling the pain because we're just so sick of feeling the pain. It's not the stuff of actual change. The stuff of actual change is when in freedom you can face it and say, yeah, I did that. It's not a so what, but it's just an acknowledgement. That happened. Right? I'm not going to pretend like it didn't happen and live my life in some kind of uh, weird sort of amnesia of what I did. Right? Like, hey, I'm a great person and I went around and did all that stuff, but I don't remember any of that. No, brothers and sisters, it, it, it is an acknowledgement. Yes, I am capable of that. I'm capable of some really horrible stuff. But my name is not condemned. My name is not sin. Because of what Christ did for me, I can in freedom and in honesty, in full view, acknowledge what happened without getting stuck in regrets. Right? Did you notice the, the title of my message? I'll just go back here real quick. No more regrets. Because <laughs> sometimes you do have to feel a little regret, right? For a time. But no more regrets. <laughs> you shouldn't stay there. It's not a place to stay. You have to move forward, right? And in the grace of Jesus Christ, you can admit that. Brothers and sisters, this is something that I've learned to do. When when there's something that's causing pain, anything that causes you to hold you back to the past, it doesn't always have to be something that it's like, oh, this is a criminal offense. I mean, it can be stuff like that. But it could just be the stupid stuff that we do that are just mistakes, right? You know, just the, the, the faults that we have, that the, the reminders that we're not perfect. You know, all of that stuff, I think it still needs to be forgiven. Even if it's not like an outright, like, red letter sin, you know. But there's all kinds of stuff that we can't get over. 
until it is forgiven. And the thing is, brothers and sisters, this is just my feeling. For you, in order to actually be free of the thing, it must be acknowledged. It must be acknowledged. You can't gloss over it. You got to acknowledge this thing happened. And once you can acknowledge it, then you can let it go. Then you can give that to God. Then you can let God take that away from you. So I want to kind of just brief you sort of, at least, you know, it, it, this is just my humble way of doing it. Okay, maybe you have your own way of confessing. But this is the way that I do it, that I would like to teach you. If you, you know, we're talking about practical stuff. So let's practically actually practice this. Okay, so if you guys want, you know, just get comfortable for a second. Just, just stretch out, you know, maybe just take a deep breath. All right, brothers and sisters, you are a child of God. <laughs> Not because of what you've done, but it's a gift of God. You're forgiven in Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation here. All right? And so in this atmosphere, in this place where we acknowledge that we are forgiven because of what Jesus has done, I I think we can do this in freedom. So if you want to, you can close your eyes. I encourage you not to like hang your head, all the blood rushes forward, and you kind of start getting sleepy and just foggy-minded. Um, just, you know, just keep your back straight against the pew uh, if you can. Um, but, but be comfortable, just not too comfortable <laughs> that you fall asleep. Uh, if you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to keep them open, you can as well. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about something that is currently or recently been bothering you. Something you feel bad about. Something you regret. Something that just, you're like, man, it's like that thing that's on loop. You know, it it just keeps coming back up. Whatever it is, I don't know, maybe it's like a fight that you got in with a a loved one or with a friend. Some kind of dispute. Um, You know, someone wronged you and you can't get over it. Someone, you know, owes you 20 bucks and they won't pay you back. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a mistake you made. Maybe it's, you know, you feel like you were a lazy student and, you know, you could have studied harder and now you're stuck with a, a really murky future and you feel like it's all your fault. I don't know. I don't know what it is, brothers and sisters, but there's something, right? There's always something, you know? Uh, and whatever that thing is, I want you to do this, brothers and sisters, to just as if you were reading the phone book. <laughs> this is what I do, right? Just... Confess that to God. And what confession is, it's a statement of truth. right? You can confess Jesus as Lord. That's not a bad thing. We usually think of confession as a bad thing. Jesus is Lord. No, you're just saying a true thing. Jesus is Lord, right? And so you're confessing something true in your life. This happened. That's it. That's all it is. To confess it without passion. To confess it without heat, without regret, to just say this thing actually happened. Okay? And so just take a moment to acknowledge that, right? You don't need to play there in the mud and get down in the mud and start condemning yourself, but to just admit, God, this happened. Lord, I did this. And, you know, in the past when you felt this, and maybe even now as we're talking about it, you feel some pain. Admit that. God, it's, it's, I, I feel pain. <laughs> but say it as if you're reading the phone book. Right? Try it. Seriously. I, I would try this. Just confess that this is happening. God, I, I, I did this thing, or this thing happened, or this person did this thing to me, and it feels bad. There's emotion there. You know, I don't like it. I keep replaying it. And brothers and sisters, 
as we do that, you know, and to just without heat, just let it sit. And brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine that as you spoke this thing, it's kind of coming out of you, right? That thing, whatever it is, I don't know if it's got a shape or if it's got a color, this thing is coming out of you. Now, this is all you have to do. Don't take it back. <laughs> you know, now this belongs to God. Now this burden, this grief, this pain, it belongs to God. And don't take it back. And that's it. Just acknowledge. And, and you can thank God. God, thank you for taking that burden. God, thank you for taking that pain. God, thank you that I don't need to carry this. And brothers and sisters, Sometimes I need to do this until it sticks. And I do it like a hundred times. <laughs> I'm serious. God, I feel bad about this thing. God, it's back. <laughs> Lord, remember that thing that I already confessed twice? It's back. <laughs> you know? And just confess it. Just keep doing it until it sticks. Until it comes out of you. This is the thing. Confession and healing it's a messy process. I don't care who told you this. If anyone told you it's a clean process, I'm sorry, they lied to you. It's really messy, right? You're going to do it once. It's not going to stick. There's going to be little pits, bit, bits and pieces that are still stuck in you. You're going to have to do it again and again and again and again. But brothers and sisters, maybe every time you do it, there's a little bit more freedom. Maybe every time you do it, you start to believe it a little bit more. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. This thing doesn't define me. So let's just take a moment in freedom. Sometimes uh, I like to do this. Um, there's the, the palms down, palms up prayer. Uh, this is something Richard Foster teaches. That whatever pain, whatever thing you're carrying, um, just put your palms down and pretend like you are just putting it into the arms of Jesus. And you just state it like you're reading the phone book. God, my pain, my shame, my regret. And just take a moment to just let it fall from you like gravity, the gravity of grace. Just let it take over. And then turn your, your uh, palms upwards in a posture of receiving. Now receive forgiveness. Now receive grace. Now for, receive love. Now receive your identity. Now receive peace. Now receive freedom, right? And so brothers and sisters, maybe just in, in one move, you know, put your palms down, release that thing. Whatever it is, just let it go. And then put your palms up and just receive. It's okay if you don't feel anything. You don't need to feel tingly. You don't need to cry. But just in faith, know all of God's grace is available to you. He wants to give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.